Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Three, two, one. What I've worked out, I'd love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Vern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. It is Monday, June 28th, 2021, people. And let me just tell you this. If you do not like Aaron Torres, if you hate listening to this show on occasion, Today is a bad episode to listen to because something that I told you three weeks ago was in play. I got yelled at by an entire fan base. Well, it sort of came to fruition on Sunday. We're going to lead the show with it. I told you three weeks ago Penny Hardaway was a legitimate candidate for the Orlando Magic. Uh, The Athletic reported on Sunday afternoon that Penny Hardaway three weeks later, is a legitimate candidate for the Orlando Magic. I'm going to talk about what I know, what this means, what it could mean for Memphis, and what it could mean as the number one high school basketball player in America, Jalen Duran, is about to make a college decision here coming up pretty soon. lot of layers to peel back, a lot to get into. From there, I will hit on the NBA Draft Combine, which just wrapped this weekend. Who are And what I'm going to do is really look at the biggest remaining players in the NBA draft that could return to college basketball. What I want to do is take a few minutes, spend some time there, talk about the biggest names that are still in the NBA draft right now, who could come back, who couldn't, and then we will wrap on kind of a bummer. I hate to do it, but I want to get to this NC State story. I am so frustrated, so disappointed. You know I've enjoyed this college baseball World Series. NC State having their chances at a national championship ripped away. I hate to see it, but we will talk talk about it but with that said let's get into the topic of the day and as I told you if you hate listen to this show if you are not a fan of me this is not a good episode to listen to because as I told you three weeks ago Penny Hardaway in deep discussions to potentially become the next head coach of the Orlando Magic. And so let's backtrack. Let me explain. For those of you who do not normally listen to this show, welcome in. For those of you who listen to this show, thank you for sticking with me all summer because it is kind of this weird time where we're kind of past all the transfer portal stuff in the college basketball world. It's not quite time yet to get to kind of college football and ramp all that up. 
So the last couple weeks, it's been kind of quiet, but something I told you three weeks ago, I said, look, this is the deal. This is what I'm hearing, and it really started with a tweet from Adrian Wojnarowski way back on June 10th. So we're talking 18 full days ago. Woj tweeted that sources say that Michigan's Juwan Howard continues to tell teams that he is not interested in even a discussion on leaving Ann Arbor. Teams are also calling to gather intel on Memphis coach Penny Hardaway's work. At that point, that was just the tweet, right? Adrian Wojnarowski kind of says, look, here's the deal. Uh, you know, there's two really high profile and uh, former NBA players that are coaching in college that have interest from the NBA. Juwan Howard loves it at Michigan. He's not interested in leaving. That's everything that I've told you. And then, oh, by the way, Penny Hardaway could be a candidate for NBA head coaching jobs. And so on June 10th, 18 days ago, this is what I tweeted. I had been told by someone I trust that Penny Hardaway could be a candidate with the Orlando Magic. Not surprising, given his ties. And maybe I'm overstating how much I said and how much I know and all that kind of stuff, but the Memphis fan base lost their minds. They were furious. They were apoplectic. He's one of us. How could he possibly leave? Why would he possibly do that? There's, you don't know what you're talking about. Clickbait. First of all, what is there to even click? It's a tweet. I didn't write an article. I didn't, uh, whatever. But I told you three weeks ago that he was going to be a candidate specifically with the Orlando Magic. And as I said, on Sunday afternoon, Shams Charani, a great NBA reporter from The Athletic, this is what he tweeted out. He said, Memphis coach Penny Hardaway interviewed for the Orlando Magic head coaching job and has emerged as a serious candidate, sources tell The Athletic and Stadium. And so what I want to do now is kind of just peel back the layers and kind of get into, again, what I know, what I have heard, what it means for the college basketball side, the NBA side, all that stuff. And what I want to do is kind of break it down in a couple different directions, okay? Um, the first thing is, I think there's probably two questions that most of you are asking. One, why would the NBA be interested in Penny Hardaway? Two, why would Penny Hardaway be interested in the NBA? After that, I will talk about what this means for Memphis and what it means for Jalen Duran, the number one high school player in America. But as I said, as it pertains to this pending decision for Penny Hardaway, if he is a serious candidate and if, he's, if he is off of the job, what it comes down to is what I told you a few weeks ago. College basketball coaching carousel is done. We had a million coaching changes, North Carolina, Indiana, Arizona, whatever. But the NBA coaching carousel is just heating up. And no different than college basketball, there are a number of different variables that go into uh, deciding who is going to be the next head coach of your organization. And every organization that's making these decisions kind of has a different idea of what the perfect candidate looks like. The Portland Trailblazers, for example, are doing everything they can to keep Damian Lillard and keep him happy. Probably want a veteran coach, somebody with experience, somebody with NBA ties that has played the game, that has coached, whatever. Damian Lillard was clearly interested in Jason Kidd. He goes to the Dallas Mavericks. They end up apparently with Chauncey Billups, although there's a report out now that maybe Damian Lillard isn't happy with that. So the Portland Trailblazers are looking for a head coach, right? The Dallas Mavericks, a younger team, they're looking for a young guy to build with Luka Doncic. They go with Jason Kidd. Every organization is looking for something slightly different. And the reason that the Orlando Magic for Penny Hardaway specifically made sense is for two specific reasons. The first one, it goes without saying, he is a franchise icon. You can sell that press conference. You can sell one of the great players, if not the second greatest player in the history of our franchise behind his former teammate Shaquille O'Neal. That guy is coming back to coach the team. 
But that's not really why he's the best possible candidate, but instead the best possible candidate, uh, the reason being is this is that the Orlando Magic are in the middle of, or really at the beginning, I should say, of another massive rebuild. They started rebuilding five, six years ago, whatever, post-Dwight Howard, whenever he left. It hasn't worked out. They drafted a bunch of guys that basically didn't work. Mo Bamba, they just traded Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, on and on and on and on and on. And this offseason, they finally said, like, look, it's over. We're starting from scratch. We're going super young. And for people who don't know the Orlando Magic roster... Cole Anthony is on the roster. RJ Hampton is on the roster. They have two top 10 picks. And so the idea behind going after somebody like Penny Hardaway is that, hey, let's get a young coach that can grow with these guys. Let's get a guy that not only is young and not only is a franchise icon, but is used to working with 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. We just saw it with the blow up with Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic in Dallas. The old guy trying to mesh with the young superstar, that doesn't work. So let's go get not only a franchise icon, but a guy that can come in, understands what it's like to work with players that are super young, understands in theory how to develop them. I know he hasn't been great at Memphis, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, And go get that guy. And we're not going to bring in Rick Carlisle. We're not going to bring in, uh, you know, Hubie Brown. I can't think of any other old guys. But you're not going to bring in a 68-year-old guy to coach the Orlando Magic in the middle of a rebuild. But a young guy who played in the NBA, who has frankly recruited a bunch of the guys that you're going to be coaching and is used to developing players, that makes sense for the Orlando Magic on top of the fact for a third time that he is a franchise icon. Now, on the flip side... The second question you may be asking, but why would Penny Hardaway want to leave Memphis? He's a Memphis icon. Why would he want to go to the NBA? Most NBA guys, and this is no disrespect to Penny Hardaway, most NBA guys get fired after three, four, five years. If he just does what he said he was going to do at Memphis, he could be there for 25 years if he wants them. Well, the bottom line is a couple things. One, he has not done what he said he was going to do at Memphis. It has been largely, I think you could argue, a, I don't think it's even a debate, a disappointment. We are now three years into the Penny Hardaway experience. Here is what his resume is. Year one, when he mostly had Tubby Smith's players, he goes 22-14, and 14, makes the NIT. Year two, that was the year of the famed number one recruiting class in the country. James Wiseman was on that team. Boogie Ellis, Precious Achua, Lester Quinones, on and on and on and on and on. 21 and 10. The NCAA tournament is canceled because of COVID, but mostly Memphis was not making the tournament really unless they won the AAC conference tournament. They were not in position to make it this past season. I will say in defense of Penny Hardaway, by the end of the year, they were probably one of the 68 best teams in the country. They played Houston super tough twice in the last two weeks of the season, but they did not make the NCAA tournament. They did not have a resume to get them into the tournament. They win the NIT, but even after that year, a couple marquee players, DJ Jeffries, who played for him in high school, elected to transfer. Boogie Ellis transferred to USC. And so Penny Hardaway has been largely a disappointment in college basketball. And for anybody that is going to sit there and say, well, you know, it's only year three and he's still got time. I agree. Listen, I don't think he's a bad coach, but this is also the guy that did say publicly, yeah, I want all the smoke. We want all the smoke. And he also said publicly, and I can't, this is something I don't, I can't believe didn't get more publicity at the time. He said in the year he had James Wiseman, I expect to win the national championship. 
Now, it's not his fault that James Wiseman opted out after a couple weeks or whatever, six games, and he gets suspended, and nobody could have predicted that, and then DJ Jeffries gets hurt. But at the end of the day, this is a guy that said, I expect to win the national championship, something that I don't think I've ever heard any coach in any sport ever say. I've heard them say we're good enough to win a championship. I've heard coaches say we, 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 if we do everything right, we could be there at the end. I've never heard a coach say I expect to win a national championship. Beyond that, and this is something I talked about uh, a few weeks ago when I talked about Penny Hardaway, it's not only that he isn't living up to the expectations that he set for himself. On a broader level, I think you can argue that what he thought college basketball was going to be, not only has it not been that, it is never going to be that going forward. And what I mean by that is this. If you think back to when Penny Hardaway arrived in college basketball four off-seasons ago, what was his pitch to come to Memphis? His idea was, we are going to recruit the best high school players in the country, and we are going to be the best breeding ground, and we are going to be the best developmental program in the country, and we're essentially going to be an NBA minor league team. We have myself, who was an NBA All-Star. At the time, Mike Miller was on the staff, who was a multiple-time NBA champion playing alongside LeBron James. You had Sam Mitchell, former NBA Coach of the Year. And I'll be honest, in defense of Penny Hardaway, that was actually a great pitch. It worked in recruiting. The first month he was on campus, this is who he got to visit Memphis. James Wiseman, the number one player in the high school class of 2019. And at the time, R.J. Hampton and Jalen Green, the top two guards in the class of 2020. And you could go back and read articles and find message board posts. There was a thought that Memphis was going to get all three of those guys. The problem, of course, was that right as Penny Hardaway kind of was putting this plan into place, all of college basketball, all of amateur basketball was changing, and the elite of the elite high school players were sitting there saying, I don't even know if I want to go to college basketball anymore. And so Penny Hardaway spends all these months recruiting R.J. Hampton. It was essentially down to Memphis and maybe Kansas in terms of his college decision. Probably would have gone to Kansas. And then he surprises everybody and goes to Australia for a year. A year later, Memphis down to the final two for Jalen Green. Some say it would have been Auburn. Some say it would have been Memphis. And then out of nowhere, this G League Ignite program starts, and Jalen Green goes pro rather than going to Memphis. I'm not saying it's Penny Hardaway's fault, but I would also say he clearly wasn't happy because, again, you can go find these quotes. When this G League program was first implemented, the most outspoken college coach was Penny Hardaway. He basically said, look, the, they set up this program for kids that didn't want to go to college. Now they're recruiting kids that are committed to colleges or about to commit to colleges. And what he was basically saying was, I spent two years recruiting Jalen Green. He was going to come here, and then you guys swoop in at the last minute. That's not how this program was supposed to work. And so why it pertains to this Orlando Magic job is because I think Penny Hardaway is kind of just looking around saying like, dude, if this is how it's going to be, if I can't even recruit the best high school players, if... I have to deal with all this crap. I have to recruit them. And then a week before they're supposed to come to campus, they end up going pro. Like, what am I even doing? Why don't I just, if I'm going to deal with, with, with basically agents and recruiting and all this weird stuff, forget the recruiting part. I'll just go to the NBA and work with these guys there. And so I do think Penny Hardaway, uh, it's indecisive if he's officially been offered the job, but all reports are that the interview went really well, that he impressed them in the interview. And I think he's an impressive guy. This is not a knock on Penny Hardaway, even though he hasn't lived up to expectations. 
But I think he's going to have a real decision to make. Doesn't mean that I 100% think that he's leaving Memphis, but I'll be honest. You read the report from Shams, it sounds to me like he's really seriously considering it. And it's ironic, it's funny, whatever you want to say, but when all this came out, uh, I guess some Memphis reporter kind of cornered him at a charity event or something. He said, oh, he's, oh, no, I'm not interested. I'm very flattered, but I can see. Well, I told you three weeks ago, this was going on behind the scenes. So what I would say for anybody wondering what do I think the chances are that Penny Hardaway is the Orlando Magic head coach, I'll tell you this. I think if he's officially offered the job, I think it's more likely than not that he's an NBA coach next year than, than the Memphis coach. And listen, I had Memphis fans coming at me and chirping at me and this is what you want. I'm a college basketball guy. I want Penny Hardaway in college. I think it's fun to have Penny Hardaway in college. I think it's fun to have him chirping. I wish he was actually very good because it'd be a great story for college basketball. He hasn't lived up to expectations. As I said all year, Juwan Howard is what we thought Penny Hardaway was going to be. Young, fun, aggressive, great recruiter, uh, loves his alma mater. Like, Juwan Howard has become what we, we thought Penny Hardaway was going to be. And so I hope Penny Hardaway stays, but if you're asking me right now, if he officially gets offered the job, I just look at the time frame of it all. I heard three weeks ago that he was a candidate. He denied it three weeks ago. So if three weeks later he's interviewing for the job, there is very clearly interest that has not been discussed, and because of it, I would say it's more likely than not that if he is offered the job, he becomes the Memphis head coach next year. As we begin to wrap, a couple quick things that are very relevant to this conversation. The first one, what does it mean for Memphis? Oh my goodness, I have no idea what it means for Memphis because what you have to think about is this. Who the heck are you going to hire in July to come take over at Memphis when I should mention, by the way, they are still in the middle of an NCAA violations case with the IARP or whatever because of what Penny Hardaway did years ago in his recruitment of James Wiseman back when James Wiseman was in high school. So now you're asking a coach to not only leave where he's at in July, but come to a program that could have potential NCAA rules violations. It's going to be fascinating to see. Now, I did have somebody on, I did actually an Instagram live, and somebody did mention to me, what about the idea of Damon Stoudemire, who, oh, by the way, is a friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, no big deal. Uh, but Damon Stoudemire, for people who do not know, played for the Memphis Grizzlies and was actually an assistant with Memphis under Josh Pastner. I think that would be a great hire personally, but I have no idea what Memphis is going to do. I saw Gary Parrish, who's really plugged, he lives in Memphis and is really plugged in, even referenced that there's a new school president that's coming in. So this is just disastrous timing for Memphis if nothing comes about with this. Now, why this timing is also interesting, and this is really interesting, is because there is a kid named Jalen Duran, who is the number one high school player in America in the high school class of 2022, who is in the middle of trying to figure out where he wants to go to college. And for people who have not followed the recruitment, I talked about it on a show a few weeks ago, but he's the number one player in the class of 2022. Some would say Amani Bates if you want to argue Jalen Duran, whatever. But he is a kid that by age can reclassify, can move up a year, can play college basketball this season, and then go to the NBA draft next year. So why is this important? It is because Jalen Duran, at the beginning of this month, as reported by my good friend Jack Pilgrim, set up, oh, I don't know, three official visits. 
He went to Miami for his first one. And for people who don't understand why Miami for the number one player in America, it's because his former AAU coach is now at Miami or his high school coach is now at Miami. And there are very strong ties. Jalen Duran's originally from Philadelphia. There's a lot of Philadelphia guys on that team that this coach brought with him. So a lot of his high school friends, high school, whatever. He also set up a visit with Kentucky that starts this coming Monday. Like as you're listening to this show, Jalen Duran, the number one player in America, is flying to Kentucky to come to Kentucky to visit Kentucky. And the third team that's in the mix is Memphis. And so you talk about, from one perspective, the worst possible timing for Memphis and the best possible timing for really both Kentucky and Miami. It doesn't get much better than this. This kid was just on Memphis's campus a week ago. Penny Hardaway is just selling this kid on coming to Memphis and being part of this program a week ago. And now this kid logs on to Twitter. He's probably in the gym. He gets a DM. He gets a text. He gets a call that Penny Hardaway might leave for the Orlando Magic. So this is a worst-case scenario for Memphis, who, of course, if you get the kid to campus, you have a legitimate shot with him. It's also a best-case scenario for Miami and Kentucky. Now, I'll talk about the Miami element in a minute. But Kentucky, you talk about fortuitous, almost perfect timing. It does not get better than this. And it doesn't get better than this, not just because Jalen Duran, not just because Petty Hardaway. It's been a wild week in the state of Kentucky because last week, name image likeness laws officially went into effect in the state of Kentucky. On top of that, uh, they are getting this kid on campus this week while Penny Hardaway is interviewing for NBA jobs. And it's like, oh my God, the skies have opened in Lexington because now within the span of a week, you get the number one recruit in America on your campus. That's always good. On top of that, state legislatures, law now says, Oh, by the way, you can now pay this kid above board and we'll see what name image likeness means and what it actually goes into effect. But hey, if this kid, even if it's as simple as he wants to create T-shirts with his name on it, he wants to do autograph signings, he wants to run a, a summer camp, whatever, he can get paid above board because of the name image likeness laws that I've spent so much time talking about on this podcast. And your number one competition potentially with Penny Hardaway is now interviewing for other jobs. Now, I will say for the Kentucky fans listening, it is worth noting, I've heard that there is actually a legitimate chance that Miami might be the front runner right now. Now, keep in mind, I'm recording this on Sunday before his, um, before his official visit starts, but I bring this up to very simply say that Miami is a real player in this. And again, we'll see what happens after the Kentucky visit, but Miami, as I said, his former AAU coach is there. Um, he has a bunch of high school and AAU teammates from the area there. And finally, maybe most importantly, part of this is about Kentucky too. Kentucky's got a loaded team and a loaded roster for next season, including really three power forwards on their roster. Keon Brooks, a junior returnee. Oscar Shibwe, who is a transfer from West Virginia. And Lance Ware, who played last year on the team. And so I bring it up to say that I think part of Miami's pitch, honestly, was, hey, we basically, we had our, our starting power forward transferred out this year. We have no one to play your minutes. Come play our, come come here. We have actually a pretty decent team. The one thing we're missing is that true just monster down low to throw the ball to to get us 20 and 10. Come be that guy. 
Kentucky, on the other hand, they can sell a lot of things. They can sell the name-image likeness element, the fact that probably no one will benefit more from name-image likeness than Kentucky basketball players. They can sell, hey, we have a chance to win a national championship next year, especially with you on the roster, but I do think their kind of roster makeup is going to hurt them. And one thing for Kentucky fans to consider, I just told you, Jack Pilgrim, he's a freaking superstar in this business. But Jack Pilgrim talked to Jalen Duran at Pango's camp, which I was at as well, and Jalen Duran basically said, look, the name image likeness stuff is good, and to be honest, he didn't say this, but I'm saying it, Kentucky is going to have the best pitch for name image likeness, but on the flip side, what I would also say is the opposite could be true as well. Jalen Duran said, this decision is not going to be about money. This decision is going to be about what sets me up for the next 20 years of my basketball career. Now, I would personally argue, sorry if there's any Miami fans listening, go to Kentucky, play against great competition every day. Even if you don't score as much, rebound as much, play as much, the stage of Kentucky, the competition of Kentucky is going to better prepare you than going to Miami. But if it really isn't about the money, I know, by the way, we know Miami can come up with money if they need to. Google Nevin Shapiro if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I, I do think if you go to Miami, you're in the ACC, you're playing against Duke, you're playing against North Carolina, you yourself turn Miami into a marquee attraction, but then on top of that, what I would also say is again, that you know money isn't going to be a factor and playing time might be. So it is a loaded, complicated, nuanced deal, but my goodness, this Penny Hardaway story, how about Penny Hardaway out of the heavens coming to us? Uh, as we talk about just a story just completely out of nowhere as Penny Hardaway could potentially be going to the NBA. I will continue to cover this story as time goes on and we will continue to talk about it as we get more details. But the combination of him going to the NBA, what it could mean for Memphis, what it could mean for Jalen Duran, just absolutely unbelievable. All right, what I'm going to do, take a quick break. As I said a minute ago, NBA draft stuff is really picking up. Uh, It's a fun time of year. We got the lottery last week. And so now what happened was this past week we had the NBA draft combine where some of those fringe players who are, um, you know, not quite yet NBA draft prospects, they were in Chicago working out for NBA teams. I bring it up because there's about 20 or so players, 15 players that I believe are marquee players that have not yet decided if they are going to come back to college next year or go pro. So what I'm going to do is spend about 15 minutes talking about the 15 or so best players in college basketball that have yet to decide on the NBA draft process. That includes Johnny Juzang, that includes Davion Mintz, that includes a couple guys at Bama, and includes Hunter Dickinson from Michigan. But stay tuned. Come on back. I'm going to take a quick break, and I will be back, and I will wrap after that on some NC State baseball. All right, everybody, I am back. Great to be back. And I know I said it at the beginning of the show, but but I really do appreciate your support of the Aaron Torres podcast through what is essentially really the dog days of summer here. I know I mentioned it off the top, but really we are officially very much removed from kind of the transfer portal. You know, the college hoops season ends in March, the transfer portal stuff in April and May, but we're not quite at yet that time where it's really time to dive into college football. SEC Media Day is obviously what, you know, SEC Media Days are, you know, three weeks away or so, and I think at that point we'll really ramp up. 
And as I said, once I get back from vacation, I got some great guests lined up for the back end of July, early August. A lot of fun. But I appreciate you guys sticking with me through this time where we're a couple weeks away from college football. We're also a couple weeks away from the NBA draft. And I don't think a lot of people realize the NBA draft process in the last week has really ramped up where on last episode we talked about the draft lottery, we talked about who's picking where, who could potentially go where, the Detroit Pistons, gonna, you know, they're going to be the team that ends up with Cade Cunningham. But what I want to do now is focus on everybody else. We know about Cade Cunningham, we know about Evan Mobley, we know about Jonathan Kaminga, but what we don't know and what I don't think a lot of people realize there are about 15 to 20, I would say, marquee college basketball players that are still deciding whether or not they are planning on staying in the NBA draft for next year, and those players will have real repercussions on what the season looked like next year. They, the players have until July 7th to make their final decisions, so essentially come July 8th, which is ironically the day that I do leave for vacation... Um, Come July 8th, we will know officially what college basketball rosters look like going into 2021-2022. The date is obviously very late this year. It's usually around Memorial Day, but because the NBA season got pushed back, the draft got pushed back, the draft deadline is now July 7th. So again, there are a lot of players that we are still waiting to figure out, are they going to stay in the draft or are they not? And what I want to do here over the next, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 minutes, whatever, you know I go long on everything is I want to talk about the players with the biggest decisions left in college basketball because there are some, and I'm going to get into all of them in a minute, that if they decide to leave, we are now officially at the point where there is no replacing a Johnny Juzang at UCLA, a Miles McBride at West Virginia, uh, whoever. We'll get into all of them in a minute. But we are at that point where if a guy decides to stay in the draft, there is no five-star recruit that you can convince to reclassify. There is no, um, you know, there is no, uh, uh, you know, guy in the portal that is going to replace these guys. So let's get into the biggest remaining draft decisions again. These are the players that have until July 7th to figure out, am I staying in the NBA draft or am I returning to college? These are players that have not officially declared for the draft. They can return to college if they want. Let's get into it. The single biggest one, a name that you guys are plenty familiar with, that is Johnny Juzang at UCLA. So let's start with UCLA. They actually have three players that are technically testing the draft waters. Now, one of them is named Cody Riley. Starting power forward, starting center. He's about a 6'8 power forward, low post player. I expect him to come back. He's kind of just testing the waters. The other two, though, are very interesting because they kind of play off each other. One is, as I said, Johnny Juzang, who became almost a, you know, a UCLA icon. I mean, I know that feels a little bit much with the history of UCLA, but this was a guy that put UCLA on its back, led him to the Final Four, 28 points in the Elite Eight against Michigan, 29 points in that classic against Gonzaga, and he's got a real tough decision to make. The fact that he is this far along in the process makes me believe that he is seriously considering staying in the NBA draft, and to be blunt, I do not blame him. Do I think he's a definitive first-round pick? Most reports are that he isn't. But on the flip side, is it really possible that his draft stock is going to improve that much by coming back to college basketball? There's certainly the possibility. There's also the possibility that UCLA does not make a Final Four next year, that they do not uh, you know, have as good of a march on as big of a platform as they did this year. And there's a very good chance that Johnny Juzang's stock will never be higher. So watching him over the next few weeks is the single most fascinating thing to me. Because assuming that he comes back, and assuming that Cody Riley comes back, the guy I just mentioned, 
UCLA will return everybody off of that Final Four team that played on that Final Four roster that almost beat Gonzaga. And for people that say, well, they, they got hot in the NCAA tournament, I've said it before, they were a preseason uh, Pac-12 favorite. They were a team that was ranked in the top 15 as late as the middle of January, got cold at the end of the year. They're a really good team. If Johnny Juzang and Cody Riley return, they will be my number one team in the country. Here is where it gets interesting, though. There is a third player named Chris Smith who is also testing the NBA draft waters and why it's interesting. If you just heard what I said, UCLA was ranked in the top 15 until about the middle of January. That was when Chris Smith got hurt. And at the time, Chris Smith was actually their best player. And he was the guy that in many ways, when unfortunately, and I'm not trying to make light of a, he, he tore his ACL when he got hurt, that allowed Johnny Juzang to step up. And so this poor Chris Smith kid, he's coming off ACL injury, he's rehabbing, he was projected as a potential first-round pick before the injury, and now he's got a really tough decision to make. If Johnny Juzang comes back, his role will likely be limited, so he might actually have to enter the draft because his draft stock probably won't go up by coming back. On the flip side, if Johnny Juzang decides to stay in the draft, it might be in his best interest to return. So we will see what he does. But I do still believe that Johnny Juzang as a college player next year has the higher upside. And I'm telling you right now, if Johnny Juzang comes back, UCLA is my number one team in the country. Johnny Juzang's decision is the most important, in my opinion, in college basketball. Let's get to some other ones in addition to UCLA. Kansas probably is right on the fence with UCLA in terms of the volume of guys. Bill Self, Kansas, they were a team that last year, I, th I know we all think that they were terrible and they were totally disappointing. Part of it is because they got destroyed by USC in the second round of the NCAA tournament. By the end of the year, they were actually pretty good. By the end of the year, they actually finished second in the Big 12 regular season standings. Why do I bring it up? It is because their first and third leading scorer from that team, Ochai Abaji, who averaged 14 a game, and Jalen Wilson, who averaged almost 12 a game, they are both testing the waters. On top of that, Kansas got a commitment from Remy Martin, the point guard from Arizona State, who was all Pac-12 each of the last two years. All three of those guys are testing the waters. Now, none of them are projected as first-round picks. Ochai Abaji, the guy that I, I named there a minute ago as their leading scorer last year, he's the most kind of on the fringe. The other two aren't even projected to get drafted. So I am going to assume that all three come back. And if they do, Kansas, in my opinion, is the Big 12 favorite in a preseason top five team. But they still have three super marquee players testing the waters. I would assume at least two of them come back. As long as Remy Martin comes back, I think they will be okay. But... They will be a team to watch. If they get none back, then we're talking about a team. Bill Self will figure out a way to get them in the tournament, but that is not a team that I would be very impressed by. But if all three come back, I have them in the top five. Let's go to Michigan, where that big center they had, Hunter Dickinson, seven foot one. You remember him. He was Michigan's leading scorer and rebounder. He is actually testing the NBA waters as well. I'll keep this one quick. Average 14 and seven last year. He was Michigan's like kind of like their, their low post kind of rock. And he actually waited until the last possible second to declare. I don't believe he even really wanted to declare, but somebody probably got in his ear and said, hey, probably wouldn't hurt you to at least get some feedback. He's a true low post center. He probably, to play in the NBA, will need to expand his game, need to lose a little bit of weight, need to get a little bit more athletic. And all I will say is that based on a lot of things that I've read and heard behind the scenes, 
I think he's coming back. So I, I don't even believe he was officially invited to the NBA Combine this past week. Hunter Dickinson, I expect him back. And if he's back, I do think that Michigan probably is about a top to 10 to 12 team next year. I do have some questions a little bit about the backcourt and the depth that they have there, but he will be probably the Big Ten preseason player of the year should he decide to come back. Hunter Dickinson from Michigan, a big name to watch. We'll stay in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan won. Ohio State, how about them Buckeyes? So, this is another one that feels pretty straightforward. Ohio State, we can criticize how the season ended for people who forget they were a two seed that lost on the opening day of the NCAA tournament to Oral Roberts. I bring it up to say that as bad as the season ended, this was a team that was basically in the top 10 all year. Their two best players, Dwayne Washington, EJ Liddell, are both in the NBA draft testing the waters. I will assume both come back, and it's for a simple reason. Neither of them is very draftable right now. Very good college basketball players, not great NBA prospects. Dwayne Washington, he played very well last season. I actually thought he was one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball. He averaged 16 points per game, shot 37% from the field. And, but, but you look at him, and he is a guy that is not a great athlete. He's not a great separator. He is just a really good college basketball player, and I expect him to be back next year. EJ Liddell, 16.7 rebounds per game. He was probably Ohio State's second-best player. His problem, he's a 6'8", low-post player who really doesn't do anything outside of 15 feet from the basket. That'd be great if it was 1991 and you're going up against Carl Malone every night. Unfortunately, if you're six foot eight in the modern basketball, you got to be able to shoot. So I expect both those guys to come back. Ohio State, for all the criticism, should start the year in the top 10. I believe I have them at about five or six in my most recent poll, and that's where they will stay, assuming both of those guys come back. Interesting one. I want to get to Davion Mintz from Kentucky. So this is a really interesting one because Kentucky – I don't know if they've kind of moved forward this offseason, assuming that he's not going to be back. But for people who do not remember, Davion Mintz was actually Kentucky's leading scorer last year, 11.5 points per game, just about 38% from three. He came in as a grad transfer. He was expected to kind of be a role player, and Kentucky just struggled so much that essentially he kind of got thrown into the fire and was basically asked to do all sorts of things um, you know, that, that no one expected him to have to do. So Davion Mintz is testing the draft waters, and it's really interesting because, as I said, Kentucky has kind of reshuffled and reloaded their roster without him. C.J. Frederick, Kellen Grady, some really good transfer guards. But obviously, if he wants to come back, Kentucky will gladly take a guy who averaged 12 points per game in the SEC last year. What's interesting about his deal is, is it's a little in a weird way like Johnny Juzang in that I don't think that his draft stock will be higher next season. I don't think if he comes back, his stats are better because Kentucky should be better as a team across the board. And so what this kid has to decide, he actually turns 23 years old this year, or this week, excuse me, this week he turns 23 years old. And what he has to decide is essentially this. My draft stock will never be higher. I probably won't get drafted. But if I come back, it's not really going to help my draft stock to come back. On the flip side, I went to Kentucky during a pandemic, it kind of sucked. The team sucked. Let me come back. Oh, by the way, 
name, image, likeness is in place, and there's a possibility that I, of course, will get some money on the side. So, you know, I won't have to decide, do I take a salary as a pro or do I get nothing as a college player? Now he can go to Kentucky, make a little bit of money off name, image, likeness, and from there, he can figure out if he wants to stay or not. But he has kind of an interesting decision because, again, it's he's not a guy like Johnny Juzang, like some of these other guys on this list, that if he comes back, I mean, he could move way up the draft boards. It's just about, does he want another year of college basketball? But Kentucky, after last year, you can't have too many guards. You can't have too many three-point shooters. They will gladly take a, a leader in the locker room and a player of his caliber. Let's stay in the SEC. Let's stick with Alabama, the reigning SEC champs. Alabama, sir. That was my, my Forrest Gump impression. Alabama, sir. Uh, Alabama. So Alabama was the SEC champ last year. And they have two players currently testing the draft waters. Their leading scorer, Jaden Shackelford, and another kid named Josh Primo, who averaged eight points per game last year. And if you just hear that, you kind of think, oh, okay, well, the kid that, that led the team in scoring must be the better draft prospect. But Josh Primo only averaged eight points per game, but he did it as the youngest player in college basketball last year. He arrived at Bama at just 17 years old, turned 18 right before Christmas, and he is now the youngest player in the NBA draft. And so following the combine this week, there's a lot of buzz that his draft stock is rising. I almost expect at this point for him to leave. But if Shackelford comes back, I'm telling you, Alabama still could be the best team in the SEC. If not, they're two, they're three, they're in the top 10, top 15. I currently have them with both of those guys coming back in the top, I think I have them at number seven nationally because they're going to have the deepest backcourt in the country. They have three McDonald's All-Americans currently on the roster that are definitively going to be there. Javon Quinterly, who played last year for last year's Sweet 16 team. Namari Burnett, who transferred in from Texas Tech. And J.D. Davison, who was a McDonald's All-American a year ago. On top of that, they also could add these two guys. If both come back, I think Alabama's the favorite in the SEC. If both leave, they're still a tournament team and probably still in the top 25, but that would be a big hit. As we start to wrap up here, a few others that are worth noting. Maryland has three players currently testing the waters. One of them is going to make a decision. His name is Daryl Morsell on Monday. He's basically said, I'm coming back to college. I haven't decided yet if I'm coming back to Maryland or not. So he is kind of in the portal and, and making a decision, but he was arguably the best guard uh, defensively in college basketball. He was the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten, which as a guard is incredible. But he has a decision to make about whether coming back to Maryland or not. And then Maryland has two other players that are testing the waters. Their leading scorer, Eric Ayala, and another kid named Aaron Wiggins. And what's interesting about that is kind of like what I said with, with Alabama a second ago, is that Wiggins, while Ayala was the leading scorer, he really doesn't have much NBA potential. Mark Turgeon has basically said he's just testing these waters uh, to get a feel for what he needs to improve on at the college level. Wiggins, on the other hand, combo 6'6 six, six forward, 14.5 points per game, 37% three-point shooting. He is a guy that might legitimately decide to leave. If both come back, I'm assuming Morcel will go to another college. If both come back, we're talking about Maryland as a preseason top 15 team. Remember, this was a team that made the second round of the NCAA tournament last year. They're a team that beat UConn in the opener of the NCAA tournament. Don't want to talk about that game, but I would bring it up to say that Maryland has some big-time decisions to make. As we wrap here, uh, Marcus Sasser, leading scorer for Houston. It seems like for all intents and purposes, he is going to come back. He was basically the only guy that showed up in the NCAA tournament for Houston last year. By the way, I take that back. I said he was the leading scorer. He wasn't. I will say he was the only one that, again, showed up in the NCAA tournament for the Cougars who lost to Baylor in the, sweet, or in the, in the final four. Excuse me. Marcus Sasser finished that 
game with 20 points. I expect him to be back. Uh, Isaiah Mobley. Evan Mobley's older brother who played with him at USC last year. This kid's a really good player, and this kid is one who may have actually helped himself this past week at the NBA Draft Combine. Here's what you need to know. He's a really good player that his freshman year he was injured. Last year he was basically in the shadow of his own brother, but he's a former McDonald's All-American. He is a former California High School State Player of the Year, so you know the kid was good. And he finally got healthy, and he finally got his in, in his groove in the NCAA tournament. 16 points per game that he averaged on USC's run to the Elite Eight. 19 points, 13 rebounds against Gonzaga in that Elite Eight loss. Basically, he was the only guy that showed up in the Elite Eight. I bring it up to say he really improved his stock this, this week. Don't know what he is going to do. Don't know if he has played himself into first-round consideration. But it's kind of the same thing with Johnny Juzang. USC's coming off an Elite Eight. He played with his brother. Is it really going to get better for him to come back? Is his draft stock really going to get higher? If he does come back, I think USC is is a contender, maybe not quite with UCLA at the top of the Pac-12, but as the second or third best team in that league. If he doesn't come back, USC might not even be an NCAA tournament team. Speaking of which, West Virginia Miles McBride, their best player, averaged 15 a game last year, 41% three-point shooting. He was so good. He is another one of those guys. You could argue, outside of maybe Johnny Juzang, the single most important decision coming here in, in the coming weeks. And the reason I say that is very simple. It is because of the fact that, um, you know, if he comes back, he was an all-Big 12 guy. Everything revolved around him last year. And I think West Virginia is probably a top 25 team if he comes back. If he does not, I'm telling you, I think we're in a situation where West Virginia might not even be an NCAA tournament team next year. He is that important to what they do. All right, so... After about 40 minutes of basketball, I think I'm finally done talking basketball. I want to take one quick break, and I want to come back and actually switch to, of all things, college baseball. But if you follow me on social media, you know I was very fired up, very passionate about this idiotic decision to remove NC State from the College World Series. I'll get into all the details, but essentially here's what you need to know. I don't want to get political. I don't want to get crazy. I don't want to talk about COVID, even though I did it for six months last year. But essentially, NC State got eliminated because four vaccinated players tested positive for COVID. That is why they were out of the College World Series on the brink of playing for the national championship. I believe it's totally ridiculous. I hate to see it. And we will wrap on that after this short break. All right, everybody, I am back for the final time today, and I do want to get into what I believe to be uh, maybe the most interesting story of the weekend, and it's a fascinating topic, and it's a topic in a sport that I don't normally talk about, which is college baseball, but if you've been following me at all on social media, you know I have really enjoyed the college baseball World Series, the college World Series, everything that has gone on. I've been into it for two or three weeks now uh, from the regionals when my alma mater, UConn, made it to the Super Regionals to Omaha in Nebraska. And entering Friday, we were down to four teams, NC State and Vanderbilt on one side of the bracket, Texas and Mississippi State on the other side of the bracket. The first game of the day, NC State-Vanderbilt. If NC State wins, they get to play for the championship of the College World Series of college baseball on Monday night, best of three series versus the winner of the other bracket. Just one problem. 
right before first pitch, we find out that NC State has problems with COVID in its locker room. And while they will be allowed to play on Friday, they only have 13 players total eligible to play, including only four pitchers. Despite that, they play their hearts out. They almost beat Vanderbilt. Almost beat Vanderbilt. Lose 3-1, to one, leave a million guys on base, and they get to come back on Saturday again and play Vanderbilt with the hopes that then they will have more players eligible, more players healthy enough to play, and they will again get another shot to compete for a championship. If they were to lose on Saturday, then their season would be over, but at least they would get to settle on the field. Just one problem. At 1.10 a.m. Central Time, while all of us were sleeping, myself certainly included, the NCAA made the announcement that NC State because of positive COVID tests, has been eliminated from the College World Series. And here's the catch, because I know what all of you are going to say. Well, it's clear none of them got vaccinated, and it's all their fault. Blame them. Just one problem. D1 Baseball, which is probably the best source for college baseball on the internet, D1 Baseball came out and said essentially this, is that, yes, there were a couple players that were unvaccinated that tested positive. But there were also four vaccinated players who tested positive and because of those four vaccinated players who tested positive NC State season is officially over to which I say this is one of the dumbest stupidest asinine no sense making decisions that has ever been made as NC State is out of the College World Series because vaccinated players tested positive for so let's get into the details and as I do uh you know a couple things one I hope you know I don't really like talking all this political stuff, guys. I, I hope you guys know that, guys and girls. Anybody who consumes my content knows I didn't get into sports. I, I, I'm one of the few people in sports media that actually does genuinely enjoy covering sports. You, you watch all these shows. I think half these people don't even like covering sports. They like talking politics. They like talking race. They like talking this. They like talking that. I'm one of the few people. Like I actually don't like talking about the games on the field, the games on the court. Ben Simmons, why can't he make free throws? Giannis, is he good? Is he not good? Trey Young, uh, you know, uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields. I'm one of the few people that actually and genuinely enjoys doing this. What I also want to do, so, so I don't like want to get political here. What I also want to do is acknowledge both sides of the spectrum here. Because when I think, I think when you, you, you click on a video or you, you, you hear about a topic like this, you assume that the person that is speaking, in this case me, is going to have one of two super strong, super aggressive stances. So we're talking about NC State, we're talking about COVID, and I think you're going to think of uh, everyone's going to have one or two ex super extreme ex uh, uh, instances. Either the person believes, sorry, anybody who tests positive for COVID should not be allowed to do anything. Then there's the other side that's going to say, we have a year's worth of data. Nobody should be getting tested at all, period, especially young, healthy athletes. And so I want to acknowledge both of those sides. I want to say that I respect both of your opinions. But what I want to do is look at the very narrow story specifically of NC State, acknowledge both sides, and talk about them. What I also want to talk about is that I want to be fair to both sides and acknowledge that, hey, if you did decide, to get, if you did decide not to get vaccinated, and there are players on NC State, who have elected not to get vaccinated, you might have to play by a different set of rules. I don't personally believe that you should. I kind of believe that we're all adults, and if you choose that you don't want to get vaccinated, you understand the risks of going back out into society, going to Starbucks to get a coffee, sitting at a restaurant, knowing that you might not be sitting next to somebody that's vaccinated. That's where I stand. But I also understand the NCA stance of saying, look, if you're not vaccinated, you got to play by a different set of rules. You got to get tested more. You got to quarantine if you test positive. You're not eligible to play. I get all that. I will readily acknowledge that. What I will not do, however, 
is punish players who have done the right thing, who have done what is asked of them, and actually gotten vaccinated. Before I get into I should even say, since I know a lot of people are, oh, Torres must be an anti-vaxxer. No, I got my vaccination. I did what I thought was right. It was my personal decision to do that. But I bring it up to say, if you want to have a different set of rules for unvaccinated people, that's your right. As the NCAA, as the College World Series, as the city of Omaha, whatever. But why, again, are we punishing the people that did it right, did what was asked of them, and got the vaccine? Because at the end of the day, that is what we're doing. Let's think about it. Let's think about this at the most basic level. The reason that we were asked to get the vaccination is to get back to normal, right? That, that, that was why. Hey, get the vaccine. Don't got to wear a mask. Don't got to social distance. Don't got to do this. Don't got to do that. You don't do that. That's your own decision. But if you do do that, you're going to get back to normal. Except apparently in sports, where Chris Paul, who was by all accounts vaccinated, and certainly this NC State baseball team, players were vaccinated. They did what was asked, and now we're punishing them by saying, sorry, even though you're vaccinated, even though you're of no threat, of the, you're at minimal, minimal, minimal threat. I don't want to say no threat. People will freak out. You're at very minimal threat of the virus because you got vaccinated, because you did what's asked. Sorry, you still can't play. And I know there's some people out there that are going to say, well, what about the unvaccinated players? Again, it goes back to what I said a second ago. If you personally chose not to get the vaccine, that's your prerogative. But you also may have to play by a different set of rules. And you also know you also run the risk and you know the risk of what could happen if you come into contact with somebody with the virus. So why are we punishing the players who did get the vaccine, who did know the risk, got the vaccine anyway? Why are we punishing them to protect the people that have actively decided not to get the vaccine? Because at this point, just about anybody that wanted the vaccine could get it. And so when I look at this whole situation, it just drives me crazy. We have an NC State baseball team where the players have the vaccine, where the players are fully healthy, probably didn't even know they had it, are still getting tested despite getting the vaccine. They test positive, and now NC State, which was one game away from competing for a championship, is not allowed to play because they had players who are fully healthy, who are fully vaccinated, test positive. It makes no sense, and it's completely unfair, and I'll even take it a step further. You know how I know it makes no sense? Because... Let's just think about it. Let's just think about it at the most basic level. Play, one, first of all, you play an outdoor sport, all that stuff. Two, did you see the, the picture that I posted on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres on Saturday morning? The NC State baseball team, after they got eliminated, went to the Texas-Mississippi State game on Friday night, went on the field, and took a picture. They took a picture. Just think about that. Just think about that. The NCAA has basically said, you're not safe enough to compete, but, but you can come to the stadium, you can step on the field, none of them were wearing masks, and I'm not trying to get into a mask versus no mask debate, you can step on the field, take pictures, no mask, including some of the players who had to have tested positive because there was a bunch of guys on the field, but you can't play. It makes no sense, and I feel terrible for NC State, I feel terrible for their fans, because this was a team that was good enough to win it all, and as I said, they were a team that was almost like a team of destiny. Uh, they were a team that went to the number one team in the country in the Super Regionals at Arkansas and beat them two out of three times, come to the College World Series, win their two opening games. By the way, on Friday, down to 13 players, still almost beat Vanderbilt with possibly the best pitcher in college baseball on the mound in Kumar Rocker, still almost beat him. So shame on the NCAA, shame on the people that made this decision, and I sure hope that we get some new policies in place for football because we might as well cancel the football season if we're still going to be testing fully healthy, fully vaccinated players for COVID. But that is, what is, that is the topic of the day. That is the story.
NC State baseball eliminated from the College World Series because healthy, vaccinated players with no symptoms tested positive for COVID. Shame on the NCAA. Shame on the health officials in the state of Nebraska that allowed this decision to be made. Shame on anybody that had any part in allowing NC State with vaccinated players to be eliminated from the College World Series. It is so frustrating. I feel so bad for those kids and that fan base. With that said, I am going to get out of here. Uh, obviously, didn't want to end on a down note, but that was to me a very important topic that I did want to get. Uh, I wanted to get into it before I got out of here because to me, it was maybe the most interesting story of the weekend, even more interesting than what happened in the NBA and all that stuff. But I am, in fact, going to get out of here. I should mention, by the way, before I get out, uh, College World Series Championship is now official. We got, we got Mississippi State Vanderbilt uh, as America's foremost college baseball guy. Let me tell you, I did pick Vanderbilt to win this thing before the tournament started, but I do think Mississippi State's playing better right now. Mississippi State is my official pick, but I'm for real going to get out of here. Again, want to thank you for your support during kind of this slow time in the calendar. Once all these crazy recruiting things slow down, we will get back on some of our favorite guests, Rick Barnes, Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, some college football coaches I'm really excited for you guys to hear from. And then, like I said, I will be taking a little bit of a vacation there in the middle of July, and then we will ramp up for college football, and we'll obviously see what happens with Penny Hardaway. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. If you like this show, Go to iTunes, quick five stars, Aaron Torres podcast. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Hates My Voice. I will be back later this week as more stuff happens and we know stuff is going to happen. Thank you, people. Talk soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.